Alrighty, all right, all right. So just as a reminder, Tom and Lisa, we are from Calvary Baptist Church there on Liberty Street and with Heavy Deep and Real Ministries, which is our personal ministry where we go out and do fun things. Um, yeah, I'm going to open in prayer like always, and then we're just going to get right at it because I got, I got paper in front of me, so I got to go through it. No, I got big words this time. Yeah. 20 points, so I can actually see it. (laughs) Let's let's go to prayer. Father, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for a great summer we're having with all the sun. We pray for the firefighters who are out there fighting um, those fires in the the, bootleg and some other places, Lord. Just be with them and keep them safe. Keep those families safe down there. We ask, Lord, that tonight, whatever word you have is powerful and it meets people where they are and that the Holy Spirit that is residing in us resonates and maybe these words will be uh, helpful for somebody. Uh, Lord, we just ask that uh, you bless this time that it is uh, uh, glorifying in your sight and that uh, we are pleasing to you and that uh, uh, scripture says that that we are a delight to you. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So I, I did a little study in, in prep for this, if you can believe that, and uh, I'm, not, I'm not just winging it like usual. Did you know that the Bible has like 7,000 promises? 7,000 promises. I was going to bring the list, but I ran out of paper. So, um, have you ever seen these little promise books that go around, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, little promise books. And, and a lot of them are, are topic-based. So, if you're depressed, here's some promises from God. If you're fearful, here's some promises for God, all that kind of thing. So, if you don't have one of these things, um, maybe we should get some. Let me know if we need to get some around here. Because I, I, they're really, they're really uh, helpful in terms of being topical. They'll just give you what you need to have right at the moment and give you, give you some words. Uh, but one of the things I find when I read the promises and when I work with people is there's a lot of misunderstanding about what God's blessings really are. And I, I'm dealing with a couple gentlemen right now, having a great conversation with them. I've told you about these folks before that don't feel like God likes them, loves them, is kind of against them. And their life experiences are such where they feel that because God's sovereign and in control of everything, it's all his fault. And we're, we've been having a good conversation, um, not agreeing on everything. But what I'm finding is that when they think about blessings from God, they think completely materialistically. They think about blessings in this world. And there is some of that, right? We know that all good things come from God and that it, whatever you have is from him and, they, and, and it's for his use, right? If, if he gives us a blessing, we're supposed to give it back to and serve, right? But what I find when I read scripture and I read these, bless, or these, these promises, the blessings we're talking about really aren't material. They're emotional. They're spiritual. And so I want to kind of go through tonight and just talk about what God's promises really look like. So that when you hear something like, um, God has plans to prosper you, you don't think you're getting a Mercedes Benz. <laughs> right? I wouldn't trust, I would not trust you in a Lamborghini. <laughs> right now, I don't know you very well, but wow. Um, <laughs> so, so let's go through some things here. Um, do you know the story in Luke about Lazarus and the rich man? This is a fascinating story to me. Uh, it's Luke 16, verses 19 through 31, if you want to kind of look at it sometime. Luke 16, 19 31. The story goes like this. There, there's a guy that's a rich guy, and he has a big home and all these things. And there's a guy named Lazarus, and he's, he is homeless, beggar, outside the gates and all the weather, has had nothing in life. 
No good things have come to him in life. He has just struggled. And the rich man really doesn't take care of Lazarus. Maybe throws him some crumbs and stuff, right? He knows who Lazarus is, but... And both of them die. And this is a story that Jesus is telling. It's a parable, so this didn't really happen, but he's trying to make a point. And he says, both these guys die. And the rich man ends up going to hell, goes to Sheol. The Lazarus ends up at a place called Abraham's bosom or paradise. Remember Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. We call that heaven now. In, in, in Jewish times, they would call it like the, the third heaven, maybe. Paul talks about going up to the third heaven. Jesus calls it paradise, Abraham's bosom. And in this story, Lazarus, who has had this horrible life, just nothing, is with Abraham, Father Abraham, which is a great thing. I mean, he's completely comfortable, healed, all this stuff. Where, where, where the rich man's down, burning, burning. And he looks up and he sees Lazarus. And he says, Lazarus, dip your finger in some cool water and touch my tongue and give me some relief. I'm dying here, right? And Abraham says he can't do that. There's a gap between us, that cannot, a chasm that cannot be bridged. He can't help you. And so the rich man says, well, I've got brothers back on earth. Send Lazarus back to tell them about how horrible this place is because I don't want them to be here. And Abraham responds, according to Jesus, they have Moses. And if they don't believe Moses, which was the law, why would they believe Lazarus? Now, it's a, it's a great story about how if you ignore, the, you know, ignore God all your life, how you end up in, in Shoal, in, the, in this Hades piece. But the fascinating part to me is Lazarus. He gets to be in Abraham's bosom. He gets eternity in heaven. But his earthly life was horrible. He had nothing. He had no good thing according to Jesus' story. And you look at scripture and you look at the promises and say, wait a minute, didn't, didn't you know my name before I was born? Didn't you have plans to prosper me? Didn't, didn't you go before me? Didn't you fight my battles for me? Didn't you protect me? Didn't you provide for me? Didn't... And you look at Lazarus and the answer is, well, apparently not, right? And so you got to think a minute and go, what, what do these promises mean if they're not going to take care of a guy like Lazarus? What do the promises mean when David's living in a cave and Saul's trying to kill him? You know, what, what do the promises mean when Paul, Jesus says, I'll show you how much you have to suffer for my name. And all of the, the disciples who become apostles are just tortured through their entire time of ministry. Right? All of them were killed except John. John was boiled in oil and thrown in Patmos. So he got it off easy, I guess. And so is it really about the material blessings of, of earth or not? So I want to go through scripture and, and tell you, at least from what I'm reading and, and what scripture is kind of telling me, what blessings look like and what these promises mean to us. Because the promises are important. There wouldn't be 7,000 7, of them in this book. That's easy for me to say. Sorry, rented lips. Uh, there wouldn't be so many in this book if it, if it weren't important. There'd be like two. You're going to heaven, you're going to have a great time. <laughs> but 7,000. So let's talk about what they mean. I'm going, to, I'm going to go to Isaiah 41. I'm going to go to Old Testament first. It says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Does that say anything about you not going through what you're going through? And that's the key. When you go through the scriptures of the promises, what you'll see over and over and over again, I'm going to show you a little bit tonight, is God says, I will be with you in the storm. 
Not that I'll take you out of the storm. It's the Daniel story. Daniel didn't get saved from the lion's den by not having to go in. Daniel showed faith in the lion's den and God shut the lion's mouth. And so what's fascinating is, and what really is hard for us in our thinking, is when we say, oh, God's going to bless us. He's got a promise for me. I did a... It may not necessarily be a material, earthly thing. Now, it could be. I'm not saying it can't be. I mean, God's blessed me like crazy. But what I'm finding is God blesses me even more on the emotional, spiritual side. So if I'm going through something, God says he's going to be with me. He's going to strengthen me. He's going to give me courage, he says in other places. I'm going to be able to have all the tools I need to get through whatever it is I have to get through. Now, everyone in this room has survived 100% of whatever you've been through. You're still here. And if you're on this side of the grass, guess what? God's got work for you. There's a reason, right? But sometimes maybe it didn't feel like God was there. You know, I've, I've been in situations where it's like, hmm, God, it would be nice if you were like right here, right now. And, but this says the promises he was. And I think back about some of the bad situations that happened to me, and I'm like, what if God weren't there? What would have happened? What if the Holy Spirit wasn't holding back sin? What if that, that whole thing didn't happen? What if this promise weren't true? Can you think about that in your life, what it would be like? If God didn't walk with you in the fires? I, for me, it would be really bad. Well, I'm not even sure I'd be here, honestly. So let's, let's go to Isaiah. Isaiah has a lot of these, which is fascinating. He says in, 20, in Isaiah 26, 3, you will keep in perfect peace with who's though... I said 26.3. Anybody want to read that? You keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. So what he's saying is, if you trust in the Lord, you have faith, you're going to be at peace. Why? Not because things aren't happening to you, but you're going to have peace in the storm because... The, the outcome of things don't matter because the worst case scenario is you meet Jesus. That's, that's the worst case scenario in your life. You meet Jesus. Best case scenario, you, you get through it fine. Minimum is you have all sorts of trauma and then God uses that for good for other people. Right? Have you ever noticed that the best counselors are the ones that have, have had trauma because they get it? Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. You ever know that God says, I will use all things for the good of those who love me? So you could have gone through the most horrible, horrible things in the world. And God will use that for you to serve the kingdom to help somebody else. Because the rule is, if you've been in the dark and found your way out, you got to go back in the dark and help others because you know the path. And that's how God will use you powerfully. So all of us who have had trauma and suffering and all those things, God uses powerfully. And that's why you're still on this side of the grass. It's because God has a powerful ministry for you. There are going to be people you're going to intersect with. I call divine appointments and you're going to speak into their lives. And there's nothing more powerful than speaking into somebody's life for the Lord. It's an incredible thing. And that's why you have peace. Because it doesn't matter. Paul said, I've been hungry, I've been, I've been full, I've been rich, I've been poor, I've been all these things, I'm content in all circumstances. Here's Paul, he's been beaten with rods, he's been stoned, he's been thrown off a cliff, he's been shipwrecked three times, he says, I'm comfortable. It's like, wow, you got a lot more peace than I do. And he's like, no, nah, because I'm serving the Lord. He says to, to die is gain because he gets to heaven, right? 
but to live as Christ. So while I'm here, I'm going to do all the things Christ wants me to, and I'm going to serve him, and that's my focus. And if I die, yay. Right. I mean, the only legacy we really have in life is not a book, nothing. It's who you, who you talk to Jesus about. Imagine, imagine, if you will, you get to heaven, and Jesus says, hey, good to see you. I want to introduce you to someone who's here because of you. Wouldn't that be the coolest thing ever? Wouldn't that be like, holy crap, really? It worked? <laughs> you know, someone actually listened? Woo-hoo! Because most of the time we get shut down, right? It's going to be one out of like 20. But isn't that going to be cool if that happens? That someone's in heaven because you shared your testimony with them. Oof. I just think that's the coolest thing ever. Scripture says in Deuteronomy, Old Testament again, 31, 8. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. He didn't say, the Lord will go before you and make sure your paths are all clear and nothing ever happens to you and you're just, you know, actually coddled. It doesn't say that. It says, well, you're going to go through things and I'll be there with you and I'm going to make sure that you're not discouraged or afraid. Well, discouragement and fear come from Satan, doesn't it? So when we're feeling that way, what are we supposed to do? The Bible promises if you rebuke the devil, he must flee. Means tell them to bugger off. Oh. <laughs> That's the message version. <laughs> I I want to write I want to write a, like a paraphrase of the Bible. I think it would be the funnest thing in the world. <laughs> I get I get pillared for it by the community though. So. <laughs> All of Paul's letters. Yeah. I thought I saw with Leviticus. I think that'd be the fun one. <laughs> John 16, 33 says, I have told you these things, this is Jesus, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Right? I think that's the understatement of the Bible. So what do you tell people when they say all of these bad things have happened? Yeah. And why, I, if there's a God, why? Oh, woo, we're in it now. All right, I'm just going to put my notes aside. We're going to take on the why do bad things happen thing. Because that's everybody's That's everyone's problem. Everyone's problem is, if God is God, he's a loving God, why do these things happen? And I'm going to tell you there's two big reasons. First, any bad people here? Great. Let's take away your free will because you're a bad person. I'm a bad person. You're a bad Free will, gone. But the rest of you, you're okay, right? Oh, that's the rub. See, God says, I can't just take away your free will, your free will, your free will, because none of us are good. We think in our worldly sense, well, take away the free will of this person because, wow, why didn't you take away Hitler's free will? Why didn't you just smite him? Wow, what, what, what is this all about? But how this works is if you take away the free will of one, you take the free will of everyone. And you can't do that because love is a choice, not a requirement. So we talk about this being a relationship. God says, okay, I'm going to take your free will away. You must love me. No one's going to do that. Nobody's going to worship a God that forces you to do that. Everyone will say, no way. And God says, no, no, come let us reason together. I want you to care about me as I care about you. Jesus says, I want you to love each other the way I've loved you sacrificially, but it's your choice. Because love must... Yeah, but love has to be a choice. So free will cannot be taken. Now, there's some that believe that you don't really have that because God's grace is irresistible. You can't resist it. I'm not sure I don't worship a God like that. 
Oh, I'm, get, I'm getting there. Hang on. I'm getting there. Been to, I said two things. She's beating me around the corner. Stop that. So that's the first thing, free will piece. Second piece is this. If you look at life and all the bad things, they come from three places. Sinful man doing dumb things and having consequences for it. We've all done dumb things and had consequences. Sinful man doing dumb things and having those consequences affect other people. And a fallen world. When the fall happened, it said, it didn't just say Adam and Eve fell. It said creation fell. So the perfection of the garden fell. And what did that give us? Tsunamis and earthquakes and fires and lightning and, you know, well, the other stuff. Snakes. <sighs> Bees. I got a wasp nest in my house I got to get. So all of this, this, this false stuff really screwed us up because instead of loving like Jesus sacrificially and serving one another and considering others better than ourselves and all the things scripture says, we always find the other. We always find the person that's not like us and we hate them. We hate them. We do. We hate the other. It, it, that's where racism comes from. That's where genocide comes from. That's where if you study the history of wars, they're not like us. They're the other. And there's been books and books and books written about this. Yeah. Men, women, the other. So mostly men. This is my favorite thing. Yeah. So let's talk about this whole fall of the angels thing and Lucifer. You're absolutely right. God is sovereign. He's omniscient. means he knows everything. He's omnipotent. He can do anything he wants. He's everywhere at once, right? So he makes the angels. Apparently the angels had free will at one point. Because Lucifer chose to sit on God's throne. And God said, eh, not so fast, tiger. I always say that Lucifer, the angel of light, was the first disgruntled employee. He was the first guy that thought he could do better than management. And, and so he gets kicked out, right? And there's a war in heaven, supposedly. We read about this. My personal belief, Scripture doesn't tell us, but my personal belief is after that point, free will for the angels was over because they chose. The third that chose to go with Satan chose. And that was their choice, and they did, they're done. The angels that stayed, they made their choice, and they stayed. Okay? So that's part of the fall piece. Now, when God looks at the world, he doesn't look at it linearly like we do. First century BC, second, third, you know, and he doesn't, he doesn't see, he sees everything laid out. So when I read this and I go to Genesis 1 and 2, which is creation, and then you get to Genesis 3, which is the fall, fast forward, just take this book and go to Revelation 21, 22. God creates a new heaven and a new earth and says, you get Eden back. And all of us that are in heaven, right? are put back on earth. 
in, in Eden. It's, it's the original plan. So people say, you know, how did all this stuff happen? It's the original plan. It all gets reconciled. Yeah. Yeah, because Paul says um, he was in the third heaven. And scripture talks about the heavens. Now, if anybody says they understand that, they've been there and I've not. Um, because that, it doesn't really describe a lot. Yeah. So the Mormon church will have the Book of Mormon, which will go way beyond what scripture says. Seven heavens. Seven heavens. Is that like a 7-Eleven? Is, yeah. Is there a Slurpee in the Mormon church? I want to know. How good you are. Inquiring minds want to know. Oh, then, oh then, then this is the point. Oh, sweet. Okay. So, why is he so cryptic? Why, I've always had this. Why didn't Jesus just come down and go... Why did he tell everyone, don't say anything, right? Because true faith is about trust. Faith is, have, is believing what you haven't seen. Blessed are those... God, Jesus says this to Thomas. He says, you, you believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who have not seen and believe, which is us. Right? The faith piece, and this is the hardest part of our faith, of our, our whole religion. The faith piece requires us to trust something that is not tangible. And those of us with trauma, we don't trust well. And those of us who have father issues, this whole book talking about the father pisses us off. <laughs> Right? Those of us who have had like um, mom dad issues, divorce issues, and they talk about the wedding of the church. It's the worst language in the world for me. I hate it. it. Triggers me up. I get it. It's not the words I would use though. So what's hard is keeping your faith when you're reading this and your personal experience might be different than what this book is saying. And that's why these promises, <laughs> see how I got that around back. I'm really good at this. Um, <laughs> These promises are so important because it tells you in the midst of these questions, why free will? Why don't we take, why Hitler? Why, why does people suffer? Why do good people say blah, blah, blah? These promises tell you. Is there, is there a Bible character in here that didn't suffer? Ruth suffered, Esther suffered, David suffered, Noah suffered, Moses suffered. Jesus really suffered. All the disciples suffered. Stephen got stoned. And I don't mean with CBD. I mean, he got stoned, <laughs> literally. Um, I mean, all these Bible heroes of ours have had trauma. And what God's trying to tell us in this book is, I am with you. It doesn't feel like it sometimes, but you've got to trust me on this. I have plans for you, but they're not going to be like the worldly things. You may get the Mercedes. You may not. You may be the rich man. You may be Lazarus. But you are all useful in the kingdom because I am going to use what you are for the thing I created you to do. Because Ephesians 2.10 says, I have created you to do good works before the beginning of the world. Every one of us has a job for, for God. And it doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done. It matters what your experiences are so that he can use those powerfully. And that's the promise. That even if you've suffered horribly, and, and there's some horrible things. I know there's some horrible things in this room. Me included. It's amazing how God will take... 
I can't say that. How God will take that lemon and turn it into lemonade for people. It's amazing how he will take a crap sandwich of your life and somebody will intersect you and they need to hear your story about what Jesus is doing. Even if, he's, if you're just brand new in this, and you're like, I don't know this Jesus thing. That could save somebody's life. And I'm not just talking on this earth. I'm talking eternally. Right? And so, free will is a problem. Because <laughs> we all have it. And we all have to have it to love God. And some people are going to choose to use their free will very abusively. And then there's going to be the piece of three places from which our struggles come from. Ourselves and our dumb decisions we suffer for. We reap what we sow. The collateral damage of someone else acting upon us, doing dumb things. And three, the world's fallen. You know, Satan says to Jesus in the temptation, he says, if you bow down to me, I will give you all these kingdoms because they're mine to give. And you go, wait, 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 Satan. Oh, oh, oh. I was reading in Genesis that the garden, everything was, was Adam's. Oh, that's right. Genesis 3, God kicked him out of the garden, put a cherub there and said, you can't come back. It's not yours anymore. But the new heaven and new earth in Revelation 21, 22, when God reconciles everything, it is ours again. Because his plan doesn't get changed. And so we're like, well, God, why, why are you waiting so long? What's, why? And, Paul, and Peter tells us, God is not slow as some of us think about it. He's patient, not wanting anyone to perish. So what he's waiting for is enough people to come into the fold that are going to come. Because he's omniscient and knows who. We don't know who, right? And so my job is to tell everybody about Jesus. Now, my friends right now that I'm talking about, uh, they're rejecting all that. And I get it. I'm going to still work them over. You know, I'm going to build friendships with them because I think they're great, great guys. They're really struggling and suffering, and I feel bad for them. But they need to know the Jesus I know, not the one they think they know. And that's our job. And then you have these promises that tell you, I am going to go before you. I am going to be with you. I am going to protect you in this stuff. You're going to go through things. You're, going to, you're, you're even going to suffer. But if you have the mind of Christ, meaning that everything you're doing is storing up treasures in heaven, even though it may just suck down here, when you meet Jesus and he says, hey, there's a scene in uh, 1 Corinthians, no, 2 Corinthians 3, I think it is. All the stuff you've done gets put to the test. All your work. And the stuff that you did for Jesus that you really, you know, were for the kingdom, they put it to the torch and, and jewels, gold, come out of it. And then you get to take all that and put it at Jesus' feet and give the king that. And then he gives you your rewards. Woo! I'm excited about that. That's why Paul says, run the race to win. You know, it's not he who dies with the most toys on earth wins. It's he who dies with the most rewards in heaven that wins. And that may mean incredible suffering here. It could mean you're a Lazarus person. But you rejoice in that because this is temporary. Paul said that all of his, his previous life, and he was a pretty privileged guy, he considers loss for the gain of the glorious reward that awaits him. Yeah? I thought our suffering was the kind of thing we do that was bad in our lives. No, that's karma. Okay. <laughs> no, our right, suffering is... Um, See, some people believe that like God's like, oh, I'm punishing you. Well, if that's true, right, then Jesus didn't do anything on that cross. Okay. And that's the rub. 
See, if you think that God is punishing you because you sinned or uh, is mad at you or that, then the whole idea of Jesus dying for the sins of the world, it didn't work. So this is why Romans 8.1 says, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So if you're suffering and you know, you're feeling guilt or you're feeling shame or you're feeling uh, self-worth issues or uh, you've lost kids or whatever the case might be, God's not doing that to you. Now, we can, if we wanted to examine it, we could probably find the timeline and what happened and decisions that were made and all these different things and say, this is why. But it's not that God is hating on you and punishing you. It's that this world stinks. Yeah. There are consequences for your bad behavior, mm-hmm. and some people actually get away with that. So that's where the ah, sinful world yeah. is. Yeah. But this is the beautiful they part. They don't get away with it. They don't get away with it at the end. At the end. <laughs> but on earth, nope. No one does. But this is, this is the, hey, this, this is the rub, though. This is what you got to get in your mind, because if you believe there's no justice, your life will be hopeless. Every knee will bow before Jesus. Now, I, I've been abused, and I have these revenge fantasies. And, uh, um, and what really pushed me over the edge was realizing that no matter what my revenge fantasies were, and they were pretty good, God's justice is going to be so perfect for those people. And it's better than anything I could do to them. So those who abuse me and use me and abandon me and hurt me, they're going to stand before the Lord. And there's justice because nobody gets away with anything. Everyone gets what they earned. We are. And some of them may be Christians. Some of them may turn and go, I'm a Christian now, and they may get to heaven. But Scripture says they'll be like one escaping the fires, and they will have no rewards, and they will be the least in the kingdom of heaven. So when they get to the new, do heaven and new earth, they're going to be the janitor. I mean, that's... They're, that's <laughs> yeah. I'm going to run a small country. That's my goal. Are there any punishments in heaven, like feeling hurt or anything? No more tears, no more pain. Perfection. You have perfect knowledge, perfect understanding. Yeah, so what Jesus says is that when it happens, even in the resurrection, you're like angels, because he was saying we don't marry in heaven, right? And and so you get a new body. You actually have a new name. Your name's not your name. That's the one your parents gave you, but, but you have a name in heaven. And you are perfected. You are the person God created you to be from the beginning. I've had people call me names that have come to their mind, but um, no. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can. You might have a vision. Who knows? Yeah. Is it a cool name? Yeah, Alexander That is a cool name. Yeah. I, I need to change mine because my name's like stinks. When I get to heaven and see my mom, we're having a discussion. Because my, my, my parents' name was actually Goldman, and my mom was a Schmidt, and my dad was a Goldman, and German Jew, not good. And they decided that they, when they had kids, they didn't want a Jewish last name on the kids. And so my mom was a Catholic, and she married a Jew, so she became a Catholic light or Lutheran. My dad was a Jew, but he was an atheist. And they said, we're going to have a name that kind of intersects. Man. 
Now, it could have been Vaughn something. I could have been really cool, and I wasn't, and I'm so mad because I've gone through an entire life, 56 years so far of this. What's your name? Tom Mann. It's the worst ever. <laughs> yeah. The man, the myth, the legend, the one, the only. Uh, I got to talk to mom about that because she's the one that named me. Dang it. Anyway, I, this has been a great discussion. I hope that, that some of it has, has made it more logical sense because God is super logical when you look at it. The, and, and, the, and, and the formula is pretty easy. Created because he's a creator, wanted us to love him, gave us free will. We rebelled because we're dumb, but he allows that. And it's not like he didn't think that was going to happen. He knew, but he knows he fixes it at the end, so it's okay. So he creates this thing called faith. You've got to believe in me. You've got to trust in me. I'm going to, make you, I'm going to make you work for this a little bit. All the promises are conditional. If you do this, I will do that. Satan's trying to bust your legs. He's trying to make sure you don't have a relationship with God by putting doubts and fears and all sorts of blinding in your, in your life. Our job is to remain faithful. That's the Job story. To make sure that regardless of our circumstances, we will go through stuff. But the promise is God will be with us. No one will snatch us from his hand. And this world is very temporary. You're like a blade of grass that's going to burn up in the sun. The only thing that matters, according to Solomon, the wisest person ever lived, is, is, is fear of the Lord, is, is making sure you have that relationship. And as you go through, God says, I understand that you and your own power can't fix the, re the relationship issue you broke with me because you broke a covenant. So I will give you Jesus. He will pay the price that needs to be paid because you all screwed up. But it will reconcile the world to me. And now instead of you having to work your way to me, it's all about faith. And I will show you grace if you show me faith. And that grace gets you to heaven in eternity in perfection. Just like the garden. Yay! The end! <laughs> you guys have a, a, wonderful, a wonderful night and a wonderful week.